passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cruel Summer, our look back at each and every G1 Climax Tournament Finals from the year 1991 to the year 2018. And we are almost done, everyone. We are on episode 26. We're going to cover 2016, Kenny Omega versus Hiroki Goto from August 14th, 2016. And uh, joining me on this week's episode, he's a return guest. He's uh, my former show partner over at Japanese Audio Wrestling. He is Jojo Remy. Jojo, how are you today? I'm back. I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, positive feedback to episode 13, 2003, which we covered together. That was uh, Hiroshi Tenzan versus Junakiyama. Um, and I, I felt like um, it was, we had a natural rapport talking again on air. I mean, we, we see each other in person frequently, but it's always nice to know that we can, if, you know, if we want to do a show, something record something and put it up on post wrestling that it'll sound good it will and i'm glad to hear that people liked it so yes i think it'll probably end up being one of our uh, more popular episodes i think for because of like you and i are doing it we're kind of like reuniting the team but also like that's such an amazing match tenzan versus akiyama well that's why i picked it yes i know it's like it's like your favorite it's your number one of all time it is my number one g1 final of all time yeah and I think I I did a I wrote down like my top ten. Uh, I'll, I'll save the top ten later on like episode twenty eight. But I think it was like my number three. After I'm trying to remember what my number one number one is Naito versus Tanahashi, and I can't remember what number two is because my memory is horrible and I don't have my notes in front of me right now for that. Uh, but yeah. Definitely, like, mine, uh, for me, 2003 is, is very high up there as well. But today we're going to cover the uh, 2016 G1 Climax, and uh, maybe we'll go straight into it. And as we're going through the review, we'll we'll bring up some side notes about the match and the participants in the match and things like that. So starting off, the 2016 G1 Climax was a two-block, 20-man round-robin tournament held from July 18th to August 14th. And the finals were held in Ryogoku Sumo Hall. And, and Jojo, I think I remember saying to you, like, because you know my, my feelings about Sumo Hall in August. And I think everyone listening knows that I, I absolutely hate being in that building in August because it's too hot, in my opinion. But I remember, I think I got a message from you. You were there at this, at this show live. And you said it's not so bad in there. Yeah, I mean, like, I think we discussed this last time. Uh... My opinion has since changed. So at the time of this show, yeah, I didn't think it was too bad, but I've lost my tolerance for the summer here, and I'm sure my I would be singing a different song if I were to go back this year. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, it's uh, it moved to uh, Budokan Hall from last year, and it's going to continue uh, this year in 2019. And I was so pleasantly surprised when we, when we entered Budokan, the, the first of the three-night stint there, that it was so comfortable and it remains so throughout the duration of the show. Yeah, I'm going back for uh, the show on the 10th, the one that has Zack Sabre Jr. and Kenta this year. And I, yeah, the, the atmosphere in there is a lot more uh, controlled, let's say. Yes, definitely. Uh, people who've never experienced Sumo Hall in the summer, you're not missing much, believe me. It's better to go in the fall or the winter or even the spring. Don't go in the summer. Budokan Hall in the summer, 
perfectly fine. Uh, let's let's talk about the uh, the participants in each block for the 2016 G1. Uh, in A block, we have Hiroki Goto, Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Bad Luck Fale, uh, Naomichi Marafuji uh, from NOAA, making his second appearance in the G1. His first was in 2012. Uh, Togi Makabe, Tamatanga, Sonata, Tomohiro Ishii, and uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, who they did a storyline with him this year as like he wasn't originally going to be in the G1, but uh, his best friend and tag team partner, Satoshi Kojima, said, you can be in the tournament this year. I'm going to take myself out of it. And turned out that this was going to be his last G1 after, you know, a pretty amazing history with the G1. He had three wins and he made 21 appearances starting from 1995 up until 2016, JoJo. Yeah, Tenzan was a mainstay for, for New Japan for so long. And, you know, there was actually some buzz when this was happening that Tenzan maybe might have a long shot to actually win the whole thing. Was there? I, I don't recall seeing that myself. I, I, it's not something I would have uh, been entertaining <laughs> myself because I thought, I mean, Tenzan was pretty beat up. He had that horrible, you know, like crooked ankle that, you know, that just makes me wince every time I see it. I, I don't think I would have, you know, put any money on that. Definitely not. Yeah, I remember there being some buzz about it. I also did not think that was likely, but I remember he had some good matches. I think particularly the one against uh, Ishii was pretty good. Yeah, I, I seem to recall that one. Like For me, A-Block, like for me, my favorite part about A-Block was the inclusion of Marafuji because I thought he had some pretty good matches with most of the participants in uh, in his block. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting time, you know. Um, I'm of the belief now that Pro Wrestling Noah was much better off as a subsidiary of subsidiary of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I would have liked to see where that would have gone um, with the two companies working working together. Obviously, that's not the case anymore, but um, it would have been cool to to see that. You know, particularly the the angle. I think they they did a little bit of a, on this show that we're going to talk about um, between Shibata and Shiozaki was like super hot at the time too. Yeah, and it's a shame that that never was never followed up on, and probably never will be. But uh, also, so talking, speaking of Katsuhiko Nakajima, he was in our B block. Uh, he's also from Noah, and he was making his G1 debut on this show. Uh, and also in B block, of course, is Kenny Omega, uh, Tetsuya Naito, Toriano, Michael Oakland, Katsuyori Shibata, Evil, Tomaki Hanma, Yuji Nagata, and Yoshihashi. And to, to your recollection, Jojo, what which block do you? Th- did you feel provided the best matches for this year's tournament? Oof. I mean, this one was a really good G1. This one had incredible matches. Like the 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 Naito Kenny matches, one of my favorite matches ever. Uh, there was a Shibata versus Nakajima match in Korokuen that was awesome. Uh, this G1 just overall was was incredible. I tend to think that. This is kind of like the the standard in, in modern G ones that I hold everything uh, up to. Like so, if I, I always think about 2017, was it as good as 2016? And a lot of that has to do with the inclusion of the Noah guys, Nakajima and Marufuji. But also, you have like Kenny Omega making uh, his run in the G one for this year. You have like um, who else is in that? Shibata was doing really well. Elgin was really good in this G one. Okada and Tanahashi it goes without saying. I mean, I, I, you know, you having guys like Fale and, and Tamatanga and Toriano and, and people like that, but and they're not always that great. But I always felt like there was so much excitement as this G one was happening. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, there was an added level of excitement because this was the first one that I experienced live, and I went to a lot of the shows. I think I went to six of the shows this year. Um, so yeah, I agree. It was a, a, a ton of excitement for me. Um, but yeah, I think the match quality too was kind of, as you mentioned, the standard going forward. Definitely. Definitely. So let's talk about each person's path to the final for Hiroki Goto. He's able to beat, uh, Bad Luck Fale, Tomohiro Ishii, um, Togi Makabe, Naomichi Marafuji, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, and Tamatanga. He loses matches to Kazuchika Okada, Sonata, and Hiroshi. Tanahashi for Kenny Omega, 
his path to the finals is uh, he defeats Evil, uh, Tomaki Hanma, Yuji Nagata, Tetsuya Naito, uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima, and Toriyano, and he loses matches to Michael Elgin, Katsuhiro Shibata, and Yoshihashi. And from there, let's let's go to the match itself. Uh, we start up New Japan World, and uh, first thing we see is that Masahiro Chono is out doing commentary with Masashi Nakayama. And I think this is the first year that Nakayama is doing the commentary for the G1 Finals. Yeah, I always love seeing Chono out there. He's, you know, so strongly associated with the G1 and always gets a great reaction uh, when he comes out, so... And do you know much about Nakayama, Jojo? I don't. So... The reason he's out there, he's not a wrestler. He's actually like a really famous uh, Japanese football player. Uh, football being soccer here in this case, not American football. And, uh, oh no, like, I, sorry, I have, my note says he's making his return to commentary. So he did the year before. He did 2015, uh, the year before. And I, I assume he's a huge wrestling fan. I could glean from my limited Japanese from what he's talking that he's very familiar with the different wrestlers on the show. And like, he's he's... Talk, talks a lot about Kenny, talks a lot about Goto in this finals. So for me, it's like, okay, so that's cool. Like, And he, he he's the person who presents the trophy to the winner of the G1s from 2015. He did 2016. He did 2017. I believe he was there. Was he there last year? I think he was there last year. It, it's, uh, it's all a blur, though, sometimes for me, JoJo. But... Um, yeah, you know the funny thing about this about Chono though is that you know he's wearing a cap, a baseball cap, and has the NWO logo on it. I'm just like, wow, he's Chono. He can do whatever he wants, can he? Yeah, it's a black on black New Japan uh, NWO Japan hat. Now, do you think if it was the white NWO logo that they, maybe they would have asked him to change his hat? I think he has some rights to that logo in Japan. Oh, really? I think his shop so he, sells some NWO merch with a regular logo. Oh, interesting, interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, so let's get back to the match. Uh, Okada is out first, and he comes out to a very... Oh, sorry, Omega. I have uh, my shorthand here. Omega is out first, and he comes out to a nice response. He's wearing some terrible trash bags for his gear at this point in his career. He's He doesn't switch to regular tights maybe until the, the year after. Uh, Goto comes out second, and uh, he also comes out to a decent response. Uh, in my opinion, I think the fans didn't know what to expect Like for the finals. like I, Maybe in their eyes, they weren't expecting to see Kenny Omega or Hir- Hiroki Goto in these finals. They were maybe expecting to see Okada or Naito or Tanahashi or some other variation of those three with somebody else in the finals. So they were like, for me, when I heard what the finals were, I was just like, it was out of left field for me. I was like, okay, Goto? He never gets a push, and and Omega and I thought I know G- Kenny was getting the push at this time, but to, for him to reach the finals, I thought that was very surprising for me. Were, were you expecting these two to end up in the finals? Definitely not. And you know, even as it was progressing, I, I didn't see Gota going. Um, as you mentioned, Kenny was kind of in line for that next push. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was a very creative uh, pairing for the final. Yeah, and this like continues like kind of like I think the uh, the mixed response because when when Omega's name is announced, he gets a kind of a mix of cheers and boos, and and it's not you know it's not like it's different for Goto. He also gets this kind of weird response from the crowd. Like it's very mixed. It's like you know e- e- the crowd either will love both men or the crowd will like like one man over the other. You know, it's, so for me, it's really weird to hear like both guys getting this. Cheers and boos, cheers and boos when their names are announced. Yeah, it seemed in the beginning, it seemed like each guy had a contingent of fans um, that supported him. And then there was a an unassociated majority of the crowd who was just waiting to be uh, claimed by, you know, either of them. Yeah, somebody at some point. Uh, you know, I, I bagged on uh, Kenny's... Uh, horrible pants here i gotta say that you know goto is not doing so well in the gear department he's this is his like his red like shorts over tights look like he just joined chaos and this is probably one of my least favorite eras of of like goto's gear like i'm I'm so glad he switched back to black like that he's been wearing uh from i'd say what like 2017 on yeah there was a phase where like everybody had red red gear and this was part of it 
Um, I, I agree that Kenny's gear looks kind of a little bit too loose. It looks like they should be tights, but they're kind of not tights. And then they're the trash uh, bags. Yeah, but they're they're not super baggy. They're just a little bit too loose. Yeah, I I, I just sometimes he has these weird choices for like the, when he was being the cleaner, like from going from junior to heavy, he switched to long tights, and then he would wear these these kind of very kind of loose vinyl looking pants and then he finally he switched to like actual tights and that's a much better look for him but we're not gonna you know dwell too much upon what people are wearing uh, uh in this match so let, let's get back into the match uh goto uh, actually gets a big call from the crowd um at some point like near the start of the match after his name is announced uh, omega jumps to the top turnbuckle to get the fans on his side and is met with loud boos. I thought this was really funny, actually. Uh, then there's a call for Omega. So these fans are super fickle. Did you get that impression while you were sitting among them, JoJo? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think at the time uh, I was of the of the majority that wasn't strongly rooting for either. Uh, at the start of the match that changed towards the end of the match. But at this point, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a strange atmosphere. Okay. So, uh, there's an early feeling out process until Omega is able to send Goto to the outside. And then, uh, the Terminator claps start up among the crowd. And, and I absolutely hate when people do this. I, I just find it like so cheesy. Uh, and then Omega attempts the rise of the Terminator only for Goto to cut him off by uh, kicking at his uh, bad left leg to loud boos from the crowd. They really wanted to see the rise of the Terminator, Jojo. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of the people, I'm assuming, you know, because I was one of them, that were here for this match were also there for the the last night of the block uh, match. The last night of the block match is the night before. Um, basically, the match between Kenny and Naito, where Naito targeted... Kenny's uh, leg the whole time. So Goto was picking up where Naito left off, and the crowd knew that that was, you know, uh, an injury, an ongoing injury for, for Kenny. So I think that's why that reaction came out. Okay. Uh, and so Goto's strategy, like you're saying, he's kind of picking up where Naito left off the night before. His strategy is to work over uh, Kenny's left leg. Uh, and this is one of the rare times, Jojo, I, I listened to the English commentary. So on English commentary is Kevin Kelly, Rocky Romero, and Steve Carino. And I have to say, Carino was excellent on English commentary. So much better than Don Callis. Because I feel if Don Callis was calling this match, all he would be doing is saying how much Kenny is the best in the world. How how great Kenny is. How horrible Goto is. Like, Don Callis does not hide, hide his biases towards Kenny Omega in or Chris Jericho, anytime he's calling one of their matches in New Japan. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't listen to the English commentary that often, um, and I didn't watch the English version of it when I rewatched it this time, and obviously the the, last, the first time I saw it, I was there. So uh, I don't really have much to comment, but I'm glad that uh, Karina did a good job. Yeah, I, I would, if they said tomorrow he's coming back, he's going to be like the third guy in the booth, or like he's going to alternate with Rocky, I'd be like, oh, that's perfect. I I may or may not listen to it more regularly because like the problem with me for for me is that like I really dislike Kevin Kelly's commentary. I, I feel he gets really tropey with his with his calls, especially when he's calling the Destino. So I will never watch another Tetsuya Naito match called by Kevin Kelly ever again. Noted. Okay. Uh, the match moves to the outside where uh, Kenny does an Asahi moonsault from the guardrail to Goto, but not before kicking the uh, before kissing the G1 trophy, which is right there. Uh, he ends up landing on his bad left knee. Uh, Omega teases powerbombing Goto into the front row, but ends up uh, driving uh, Goto into the apron, which is the hardest part of the ring, if you, if you weren't aware, Jojo. You know, no matter what language you watch the, the commentary in, every commentator... Uh, in both languages, will remind you of that. So I'm I'm well aware of that fact. <laughs> it is kind of something that, like, you know, like gets kind of overdone. The the move itself, like getting power bombed at the apron, but then the like, commentator is always saying it's the hardest part of the ring. Anyways, uh, 
Uh, from this point, Omega does the Root Awakening Neckbreaker and throws in the hip swivel for good measure. Uh, after he, and then after that, he does the uh, the Chono pose, so referencing uh, 1992's finals uh, with Chono in the crowd there. Uh, Omega is wearing down Goto with chops and holds targeting his neck. Uh, there's a Gotaro Crusher for a big two on Goto. Uh, Goto turns the tide as Omega runs the ropes and Goto follows him in and blasts him with a clothesline. A move, you know, popularized and originated by Naomichi Marufuji. It's incredible, like, how influential Marufuji is throughout all of wrestling. Yeah, you know, I associate that with with both of those guys. Um, and I don't really recall their match during this G1, but I should go back and watch that. I'm sure it was great. I bet they, they just, like, spammed the shit out of doing that kind of character. Yeah, the three the three guys that I associate that spot with are, like you said, Marufuji, Goto, and Carl Anderson for some reason. I can't remember that many Carl Anderson hitting the ropes, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, from here, uh, Omega spits in Goto's face, which distracts him long enough for Omega to hit the You Can't Escape Moonsault uh, combo for a two count there. Uh, as uh, on the mat, Omega does his shitty chainsaw to the eyes, but thankfully he didn't pull the cord to start up, which you know really makes it even worse when he does that. Did he do that beyond his first match? Uh, as a, in New Japan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a junior, yeah, he did it all the time as a junior because he was like being really like cartoony and you know weird. When he was a junior, the cleaner character was like just absolutely horrible in that he just became a buffoon because he's hanging out with the Young Bucks and I think they encourage his buffoonery. Um, but like when he became a heavyweight, I think he toned it down. But I, I think he busts out like the raking of the eyes, but I, I think he kind of, you know, just stopped doing the, the ripcord action for it, yeah, thankfully. This was kind of peak Kenny Omega in my mind. This, you know, this little run that he had basically from the beginning of, I guess, 2016 through the beginning of 2017, I guess. I'm going to say it was peak Kenny Omega to me. Like, like, like the, you feel his, his best period of his career. Right, exactly. Uh, for me, like, I'm going to say uh, probably from this point until, basically until Dominion of, 2017 where he wins the title and then for me it kind of just goes downhill with you know like uh, you know watersheds of like the golden lover tag matches he has with obushi after they reunite in japan but other than that i just am very not into kenny omega in 2017 after he wins the title it's just to me it's like it like all the stuff with the elite and especially with the young bucks is just too too much for me i just like this is really cheesy this is WWE level like soap opera bullshit stuff and I just can't get into it. Even though he's having generally having good matches, I just am not into his character. It, it really bothers me. But like I agree with you from for me from this point on until like Dominion of the next year, it's peak Kenny Omega for sure. Um uh Omega dodges Goto's second attempt at the follow through clothesline and hits the Snapdragon, which uh, sends Goto to the outside. Uh from here, the the uh Terminator hand clap started up again, and uh, this time Omega's able to hit the rise of the Terminator, uh, but hurts his knee in the process, so it wasn't a very good move on his part here, Jojo. Yeah, I think they did a good job of, you know, going back to reminding the fans that that's kind of the, the story they were telling. They, I think they did a good job overall of uh, continuously weaving that in. I think they got away fr from it in a few spots, but... No, overall, I think it was a really sound match, and I, I liked that they tied it in here, too. Uh, from here, uh, Omega throws Goto back into the ring, and he follows up with a beautiful missile drop kick to the back of the head. Uh, Goto is able to turn the tide with an Ushiguroshi. He then wallops Omega with a clothesline while Omega is uh, standing on the apron. Uh, Omega's head and neck just hit the apron Really, really hard. I felt like I was watching a modern-day uh, Kota Ibushi match with uh, with Omega here in 2016. Yeah, so they, if I can just real quick. So here is where commentary, uh, the Japanese commentary at least, makes a point to say, like, now 
they're both targeting each other's necks. Um, we've reached that point. They were kind of alluding to, you know, Goto's going after the leg right now, but we know that most of his offense is really targeting his opponent's neck. So at some point he's going to change gears and go after that. And then they, they did make that point at this, uh, at this kind of turning point in the match. Well, definitely like Goto's assault on Omega's neck gets ramped up as he hits a top rope, Ushiguroshi for a very close two. And then I was like, watch this match and I, I can't remember in this particular time like if I've seen him do a top rope Ushiguroshi before or since this particular match Jojo yeah I don't really recall any offhand but um, I'm sure he's done it before at some point uh, from from uh, that Omega is able to recover but Goto applies a sleeper on him uh, but uh, but Omega escapes that and then a GTR and then a GTR and they start reversing each other's moves. So this is where, like, you know, we I make a point of, like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, you know, Jay White's, like, move, counter move, reversal, reversal. But, you know, Goto is actually quite guilty of doing this as well. I think he might even be the originator of this. Or maybe Okada is. I can't remember. He's really good at it, though. Like, the crowd, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but, like, the crowd is kind of, like, they're getting there, they're getting there, but they're not like fully invested. But then as these moves start ramping up more and more, the you know, the crowd energy kept ramping up too. So it was a really uh masterful performance in that respect from Goto, I think, because his offense is so I like to call it escalating. So, you know, it's uh it's built that way. So I would assume like, you know, that the crowd maybe is like siding with Goto because Maybe when the match started, they weren't so sure who to root for, like who's going to win this. We don't know. But maybe as Goto escalates his, his offense, he's doing the, the moves and the reversals, that the crowd's like, oh, he has a chance to win. Okay, we can get behind him and not feel foolish. Because I, I think a lot of people don't want to feel foolish by by backing a loser, even though we all know like you know wrestling is what it is. But we still want to feel like we're, we're you know, hitching our trailer to a winning horse. Yeah, we don't we don't have to talk about baseball at this point, but um, I'm sure some people like doing that. Uh, from here, uh, Goto tries uh, a German suplex, but Omega flips out of it. He lands on his feet and hits his first V trigger, and hits his own version of the Ushiguroshi. So he's now targeting uh, Goto's neck as well. Uh, then we go back to a V trigger from Omega. He does an attempt at a one-winged angel, but uh, Goto escapes and goes for another sleeper hold. Uh, Kenny climbs to the top with Goto on his back. So while Goto has the sleeper hold applied onto Kenny, uh, you know Kenny is able to climb up to the top rope. I this, say what you will about Kenny Omega, but my God, this man's athleticism and strength is unbelievable. Uh, and he and when he gets to the top, he falls back, driving Goto into the match. Jojo, just unbelievable. Like the the sheer amount of power that Kenny Omega possesses, because you don't really think of him as a power wrestler. Yeah, you don't. And at this point, he was still kind of in that transition from junior. Um, I think you know what st- what stood out to me about Kenny at this time period is the unpredictability, um, and that was such a great spot that really you know communicated the desperation that he really wanted this match, and he was you know willing to to go to to that length. Uh, to try to get there. And I made a note that, like, you know, while audibly, like, you can hear that this is a hot crowd, like, but some of the camera shots of the crowd, like, they don't look that excited for the most part. A lot of the people just seem to be sitting there on their hands or just, like, kind of, I don't know, not, not emotionless, but just not into the match, which really, you know, contrasts with what you can hear, like, coming through onto the t- onto your TV. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think at this point, the crowd is pretty into it. Um, I don't know what to say about that. Well, when you were there live, did you feel there was like a hot atmosphere at this point in the match? For sure, for sure, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was sitting in the second level, um, and I think the fans that you see usually are more in the front. Uh, So maybe there's something, you know, the, the rowdy fans are further back, I don't know. Maybe that could be it. Um, from here, uh, an elbow strike exchange occurs that Omega wins with a uh, V-trigger variation. Uh, he hits the last ride powerbomb for a big two. Uh, this is where he starts, you know, like, you know, you know, the theme is like he's using Kota Bushi's moves. 
And this is before they would, you know, would fully reunite, like about, uh, what would it be, like a year later, right? So it's kind of like the desperation you're talking about, like he wants to win this. So now he's going to bust out moves of like one of his biggest rivals, one of his, you know, greatest tag team partners and, and trying to use these to finish off Goto because his own moves are not doing the job here. Yeah, this was, you know, when I think back about the match, this was kind of the the part that I remembered. Um, and we'll get to a little bit more how he continues to do this. And I don't know if that, you know, that when he jumps off the top rope backwards with Goto on his back, if that was an Ibushi thing too, because I think Ibushi has done has since done that. Um, but yeah, you know, to your point, they they were definitely not reunited at this point, and Ibushi was not in New Japan at this point, if I can remember correctly. So I think that it sent a very strong message to the fans. Um, that Kenny was was going to dig deep for this one, and it at this point there was no indication that Ibushi would come back at all. I, I don't think. So from here, uh, Omega tries for the Phoenix Splash, another Ibushi move, but uh, Goto rolls out of the way. Uh, there's a massive kick to the chest of Omega, and Omega escapes a Shotenkai attempt, but his knee gives way uh, as Goto hits a massive headbutt, and uh, Goto then drives. Omega face first into the mat for a big two count here. So I think we can safely say we've hit the crescendo of the match. It's it's escalating, escalating, escalating. We're building towards the finish, Jojo. Yeah, I think commentary called that one a reverse Shoten Kai. Um, the one where he threw his face into the mat. Um, but yeah, this was... The, the crowd was really hot at this point. Um, and... Basically, as we kind of alluded to, neither guy had any of his own moves left at this point. Yeah, so from here, though, though Kenny at this point would go back to one of his signatures. Uh, he goes for a V-trigger, but it's blocked by Goto. Uh, a clothesline from Goto is blocked by Omega. Uh, v- a V-trigger this time connects, and then he hits a Snapdragon on Goto for a big two count. Uh uh, V-Trigger again. This is I, I, this is like the point where, where Kenny is just like going crazy, throwing those running knees. Uh, this, a V-Trigger again is blocked by, but Omega fights back with knee lifts and palm strikes. So another like signature Ibushi move with the palm strikes. But his uh, V-Trigger is caught by Goto's clothesline, who follows up with a Shotenkai, uh, the proper one, for a big two count here. So I, I got to ask you, like, do you think... Uh, about the V-Triggers, do you feel they're excessive when you see Kenny Mega wrestling and he, he starts hitting these? I didn't think so in this match. I thought uh, I thought they were fine in this match. I definitely think that of some of his matches, of his towards the end of his New Japan run for sure, and you know, uh, definitely that Dominion match that you mentioned. Uh, but in this context, I, I, I didn't think that it was too much, but I definitely know that, that he can get a little excessive with that. I think maybe at this point he it was still kind of a, a fresh move for Kenny Omega. Like, well, so. that that's my whole criticism of Kenny Omega today is that he was basically, in my mind, overexposed. And what made Kenny Omega so interesting for for you know the initial part of this heavyweight run is that it was new and exciting. Um, but then you know after seeing you know. Basically, New Japan World is overexposure for these guys. You get to see them work every single house show, and then, yeah, it just seems repetitive. But at this point, he was definitely still on the ascent in terms of his popularity, and his match quality was still awesome at this point. Um, So, yeah, I think that's kind of the downside of having access to so much wrestling these days is that guys can get overexposed. But at this point, I thought... You know, like I said, I think this is a, this is peak Kenny Omega to me. I, I didn't have an issue with it in this match. Uh, so from there, uh, o- Omega recovers to hit a Bloody Sunday DDT. And then he goes for the Styles Clash. So he's paying homage to the previous leaders of the Bullet Club, Prince David and AJ Styles. Uh, so again, it goes towards this whole story that he's getting desperate. Like, okay, my moves aren't working against Goto. Ibushi's moves aren't working against Goto. Okay, let's let's bust out the Prince Devitt and AJ Styles finishers on him. And these aren't working either. So I got to imagine that the crowd is just like, oh my God, Goto's going to win this. He's going to come back. They're finally going to give him an extended push after so many years. You know, when he hit the Bloody Sunday, Milano Collection AT went 
insane on the Japanese commentary. The reaction that that he gave, uh, you know, I, I see kind of as an essential part of this match. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a huge deal. I remember uh, in the weekly pro wrestling uh, edition that came out about this match afterwards, they highlighted that. They highlighted the Ibushi tributes and the Devitt tribute and the AJ tribute. And, you know, when I, as I mentioned, when I think about this match, those are the things that I think about is kind of that story that Kenny was telling. Yeah, I I do think there's a big message being sent that he wasn't able to finish him with like any of Ibushi's moves. He wasn't able to finish him with the Bloody Sunday or the, uh, the Styles Clash because from here... You know, Kenny Omega is able to get Goto up on his shoulders and he hits the one wing Angel finally to put Goto away for the three count and he wins the G1 Climax. So I definitely like when he finally hits his signature move, he's able to win the the G1, overcome uh, the very resilient and very tough Hiroki Goto in this match, Jojo. Yeah, it ended up being the perfect pairing, I think, to, to get Kenny to that next level. I think the... The way Goto puts matches together worked um, excellently to to complement Omega Style at this point, and uh, I think it was a great match. It's not, you know, one of my ones that I'll go back and and watch uh, regularly, but as a fan and you know, going to live shows, it's definitely one of my favorite memories uh, that I've had, you know, here in Japan so far. Yeah, so for, with this, uh, Kenny Omega wins the G1 Climax uh, in 26 minutes and 49 seconds to become the first foreigner, in this case Canadian, like myself, to win the tournament. Uh, I thought it was a great match. Uh, this is before I, you know, like, I, I think during his cleaner junior heavyweight run, I really turned on him because I just hated that character and, like, the stuff he was doing, bring out the all the cleaning products and the trash can to the ring and, and using it sometimes in his matches. But when he became a heavyweight, I thought, okay, I'm going to give him a chance. And he did not disappoint. I was really, really enjoying a lot of the stuff he was doing, including this match. And uh, after the match, all the Bull Club come out to celebrate. Uh, the No Young Bucks, though, I don't think they were on the tour uh, this year. Uh, Omega gets the trophy and then the flag, uh, but drops the flag, JoJo, in lieu of uh, waving the Bullet Club flag. And I just thought, I, I know what you're doing there, but, you know, like, looking back, I thought, that's kind of a stupid thing to do. Yeah, I mean, he mentions it in this promo, too. He says, you know, like, Bullet Club is for life or whatever. So I think, you know, despite this, you know, elevation, and he does, you know, make, uh, he comments on how it's a big achievement for him and everything. He still wants to kind of pull it back into his character and, um, yeah, I agree. I didn't really uh, like that aspect of it too much, but I, I get what he's trying to do. Um, you know, and speaking of his character, so like he has one of the, the, the biggest milestones of his career, a great match with Hiroki Goto. And then it kind of devolves from there, Jojo, because then he cuts a promo in English to the New Japan crowd. And I have always hated his promos in New Japan. And I actually think overall he's a he's a pretty terrible promo. I, I think he feels like he has to become this character. Like I think if he was more like himself, I've seen him like give like interviews like as himself, more like the real person. I I felt if he channeled that a bit more, he he would actually be able to cut like compelling promos that would make me want to want to watch his matches. I don't want to see anything of his. It's a, it's a good thing he's a he's as great a wrestler as he is because if it was just based on promos, I would never want to watch any of his matches. Yeah, uh, the promo was weird. You know, it was kind of he was trying to kind of blur the line between you know talking about guys in Orlando watching the match and taking notes or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of the promo style either. And. Uh, at some point, he would switch to Japanese, and were you able to discern what he was saying in Japanese, Jojo? Was it better than his English promo? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's important to note that to this point, he hadn't spoken Japanese uh, since he turned heel. Um, so he's, you know, he's going through this promo that we're talking about, and he's saying, I guess all you people don't understand. Then he switches to Japanese, and he says, you don't understand, do you? Um so, like, right now, this time only, I'll speak in Japanese. 
And then he comments how they're surprised at it, aren't they? Um, and he said, you know, to this point, I haven't wanted to speak Japanese. All the, you, you guys are aware that I speak Japanese. I haven't wanted to speak Japanese because I'm a heel. So even in Japanese, he's kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit and commenting on, on the fact that his character is a heel, which is kind of a part of Japanese wrestling. That that term heel is in the vocabulary of commentary and stuff like that. It's on the back of the, the Kim Pro cards, and it's, it's part of the, the vocabulary, but still kind of the same style that we were talking about. Uh, and he said, you know, so, you know, because I'm a heel and even though I speak Japanese, I hate your favorite wrestlers, which is obviously like kind of a, a tropey heel thing to say. Um, and you people haven't supported me and you haven't cheered for me. Um, but I don't care if you hate me because New Japan is my home. Japan's my home. And I'm not going to go there, he says. Um, at the time, there was a lot of speculation that he'd be going to WWE. Uh, at the end of the year, I guess, at the end of this year that this match took place in uh, 2016. Um, but he made a point of saying he wasn't going to go to... to He didn't specifically say WWE. He just said there um, or over there. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I you know, both in English and Japanese, he, uh, he tends to have this tendency to really kind of like, you know, want to be a heel and get booed, but at the same time, he he does want them to accept him because he does love, you know, genuinely loves Japan and like wrestling in Japan, and as a is a big fan of like Japanese pop culture. So it's, and when he said when he said, you know, uh, I haven't wanted to speak Japanese uh, because I'm a heel, the crowd went crazy, <laughs> um, partially because you know they like the sentiment but also because you know they hadn't heard him speak in so long that it was it was a nice touch i think it uh it really um added to this whole post-match thing but fair enough i just feel like as an overall thing for him in his japan run like you know that that you know i always felt like when he became when he became a babyface and he would cut promos in english that then that would be the time when he would become like the biggest star in Japanese wrestling, and obviously he, at some point, he would arguably be, be the biggest star in Japanese wrestling, and a lot of it has to do with, like, he became a babyface, reuniting with Ibushi, cutting promos fully in Japanese, and I thought that was, like, also one of my favorite points of his career, like, while he was in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, but overall, like, there'd be times where he just kind of amps up the cheese level, and I just can't take this guy seriously. Like, he's a world-class athlete, but he has, like, kind of, in my opinion, like, kind of dime store promos, particularly in English. Yeah, I hear. Uh, So from here, uh, the aftermath of this would be that uh, he would get the contract to face the IWGP heavyweight champion at Wrestle Kingdom, and he would do that, of course. He would take on Kazushika Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 11 for the IWGP heavyweight title, and he was defeated by Okada, like which I thought was a little surprising at the time. Uh, in one of and like you know they had him and Okada had one of the greatest matches in wrestling history. Some people will debate that. I don't. I think it's one of the the most epic things I've ever witnessed. So, uh, what did you think about the the his his match with Okada at Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah, the the first one, the Wrestle Kingdom one. I was I was there live for that one too, and that's. Again, one of my favorite matches ever. I thought that was incredible um, at the time. I think I've gone back and watched it once since. But yeah, uh, you know, do you pref- one of the best matches ever, I think. Do you prefer it to their Dominion match? I Not only do I prefer it, but I did not like the Dominion match at all. I'll, I'll never watch that match again. I, I actively dislike the Dominion match. And it's one of my least favorite matches of all time. D- due to the, the length? And the stipulation? The length. Yeah, just the whole package, and it just never clicked with me. Maybe if I was there in person, it would have, but then it would have been so long. I don't know. They're basically very similar. They had a G1 match, too, I think, the following year. Uh, to me, the, the first one was the best one, and the Dominion one is like literally one of my least favorite matches ever, and I'll never watch it again. <laughs> Unless someone convinces me that I'm completely missing the boat, but you know, I, I know a lot of people like it, but... Uh, yeah, it had just hasn't. It didn't. It didn't uh, click with me the first time, and it's such an invest, a time investment to go back and watch it again that I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Yeah, I, I, I liked it when I first watched it. I, I did think after it, I was like, okay, I, I was you know emotionally spent from watching the Dominion match, but like, like you, I don't want. I don't have the time 
to go back watch like a near like ninety minute two hour match. It just it just doesn't interest me, especially I know the outcome. I think once like you have that kind of like length of a match and you have that stipulation that listen, I I know who wins, so there's the drama and the the appeal of watching it initially is just gone for me. So I don't think I will ever go back and watch like a lot of matches that are like 60 minutes or, or more. Like, so this is definitely on that, like on that, on, in that column of like matches, I will probably never watch ever again, even if I have the time, because I, I, the, most of the drama is just gone for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, it also plays into my main criticism of new Japan, you know, over the last couple of years. And it's that, they kind of redo the same stuff over and over and over again. And the most interesting stuff to me is the, you know, the times where they break that mold, you know, when a guy like Shingo Takagi comes in and, you know, is a surprise introduction into LIJ in, in Sumo Hall, you know, when John Moxley comes out through the crowd for the first time, uh, you know, when Will Ospreay joins the G1, you know, in recent memory, those types of, um, you know, cycle-breaking things are what's interesting. And to me, that match with Okada at Dominion was the opposite, right? It was just the cycle. Uh, and to me, I've seen it, you know, so many times, um, you know, the same guys over and over again, that to me, I just need to to get a change to enjoy it in New Japan these days, I think. Yeah, I, I, I feel you on that. I feel similar feeling about say like like chris jericho's involvement in new japan it it you know even though the opponents are different i feel the 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 shtick is the same it's a lot of him yelling during these video packages it's it's he comes out to his new psycho clown character whatever he's trying to portray and then the like the walk and brawls and and just and then every match of his i feel is the same and like not that they're necessarily bad but they're they're not that compelling to me anymore. Like I, I think the first one with Omega is fine, but then su- subsequently I just get less and less interested in anything he does in New Japan. And I think Kenny was reaching that point as well. And I and ultimately I think it was a good thing that All Elite Wrestling started up. I think it's a good thing that he left because I, I always get the impression that by the time he left earlier this year, that you know he was at a point where he what he wanted to do with his character and with the New Japan uh, product, as it were, and what New Japan wanted to do were going in like completely opposite directions. Yeah, definitely. But if you put together like a five to ten match list of, you know, the essential Kenny Omega in New Japan, this G1 final is definitely on it. Um, But yeah, I think that, you know, towards the end he was kind of he'd worn out his welcome, at least within the context of the way they t- they tell their stories. Yes, definitely. Like, definitely this match would be on there. Uh, the Okada match at Wrestle uh, Kingdom 11. Uh, I would put the Naito match the, the, the year later in the G1 Climax uh, up there as well. I don't know. I, what else would I put on there? Uh, there was an Intercontinental title match. I think it was an Intercontinental title match. One of the first times he wrestled Tanahashi. Okay. Uh, I have fond memories of that. Uh, the, the I don't know. If, did you mention the the match from the night before against Naito? Uh, we talked about that. You mentioned it, but like, yeah. I I can't remember it. I'd have to go back and watch it. Yeah, to me that one is also a must see match. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in like his uh, you know I of his Golden Lovers matches in New Japan. I like the one. Uh, everyone talks about the Young Bucks one. I actually prefer. What is it? It's him. It's uh, it's Cody. I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I like I prefer a Cody Cody Rhodes match to someone else. But Cody Rhodes, I, I was, and Marty Skrull against the Golden Lovers. I think it's one of wow. the best tag team matches uh, in New Japan history. It's better than wow, the, really? Yeah, I, and it's better than the Young Bucks match because like like Co- Cody's not trying to do like his his you know like some cheesy back selling, and, and Marty's on like. Marty Skrull is like good Marty in this match. I just remember liking it more, and I like the storyline, like the stuff that Cody Rhodes was doing with Kota Bushi in this match. I just thought it made me feel uncomfortable, but in a good way. Where it's like, whoa, what's what's he doing here? And like, it's probably one of the few times I enjoyed Cody Rhodes 
in New Japan for wrestling. So I, I tend to prefer that tag match over the the Young Bucks match that they did. In, what uh, about the the one against Osprey and Tanahashi? See, Tanahashi just took the night off of that. <laughs> so, like, I like tag matches where all four people are like heavily involved in the match. That to me is perfect tag team wrestling. Like, I, there are things in Japanese tag team wrestling I'm not. A huge fan of and i generally love japanese wrestling but i tend to prefer american style tag team wrestling a bit more uh, and that that felt that golden lovers marty Skrull cody rhodes match has more of american feel to it which i i enjoy a little bit more uh yeah the osprey match he's awesome in that match and like the stuff omega and and, and abusha are doing with him is great but like tanahashi is a little disappointing he didn't he doesn't do that much in the match. It's basically Osprey having a handicap match. Yeah, I know a lot of people like that match. To me, you know, the Golden Lovers reunion was pretty much inconsequential in terms of matches. I, I wasn't a fan of, of the Young Bucks one, really. Um, you know, I, I watched it. It was it was good, but again, I won't go back and watch it. I don't really have any attachment to to their reunion at all. Yeah, I mean... I remember when it happened and I thought, oh, okay, this is exciting. This is interesting. I, I wanted to see them ply their trade as a tag team in, in Japan. I thought it was going to finally break him away from the Bullet Club, which, which it did. And I thought it was going to finally break him away from the Elite, which it did not. So, but, you know, it is what it is. But we'll see. Like, Kenny Omega is now gone from New Japan. And, you know, it's. I feel he'll come back for, like, special appearances. I don't think he'll ever be a full-time wrestler in New Japan again, especially if, you know, if All Elite Wrestling uh, is successful and is able to become a long-lasting thing. I think that's where Kenny Omega will end his career. And, you know, he's, you know, he's an executive there. So I, the chances of him doing full-time New Japan again are slim to none, in my opinion. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him at big shows like even this year's Wrestle Kingdom. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I don't think he's going to be here full time anymore. No. Okay, so Jojo, let's uh, let's go on to the uh, trivia part. And this this one is from only like three years ago. So may- maybe you'll do better. Maybe not. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I did pretty good on the last one. Yeah, you did. You did. So. But I'm saying, like, most people now, like, when I'm doing the trivia from, like, 2014 on, they're doing better because, like, oh, yeah, I remember that, as opposed to, like, 1998. Well, WH, you know, I'm not most people. This is true. You are not most people. You are, unlike most people, you are probably one of the, you know, one of the most, you know, like, uh, knowledgeable people about tonkatsu restaurants in Tokyo and, and ramen. I think I saw a picture from Christine recently uh, you guys went to was it a ramen restaurant? It looked like like amazing. It was on Instagram. Yeah, that's that sounds like it happens pretty much every week. So I'm sure I'm sure that happened. Yeah, I think it was like yesterday. I was like on Instagram. I was just scrolling through and I saw this picture of this beautiful bowl of ramen from from Christine's Instagram. But yes, you're you're not most people. So let let's let's put that to the test. In uh, August, uh, August 4th, the week of August 14th, 2016, what is the number one song on the Billboard music charts? Uh, I have no idea. Okay. I'm going to say that, I don't know. Tell me. Uh, it's a song called Cheap Thrills by Sia featuring Sean Paul. Yeah, that that uh, see when I was saying I'm not most people, I was kind of downplaying the fact that I was going to get all of these wrong because I don't listen to contemporary music for the most part. But yeah, I don't even really have a good guess for that one. Yeah, that's fine. I would I would have no idea if I didn't write this, you know. But I got the I got the 2003 one right. So go back and listen to that if you'd like to hear me succeed. <laughs> succeed on the pop culture trivia. Uh, number one album. Any guess? Uh. Number one album, I'm gonna say Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. It's in it's in the same uh, genre of music, but it's not Kendrick Lamar. It's uh, someone from my hometown. Drake. It's Drake. Do you know the name of the album by Drake at this point? I don't, but I know he's from Toronto. He's from Toronto. Yeah. Views by Drake is the number one album on the uh, Billboard. Top 100 uh, album charts. Uh, yeah, Drake Drake will let you know that he's from Toronto. He's renamed Toronto to the six 
which I I I just find completely obnoxious. I like when people say, "Yeah, I'm from the six, I'm like, I don't even recognize what you're saying because I refuse to use that term. That I'm from the six, like Berlin. What, is, what does that refer to? It's it's so it, the the Toronto area code for the phone numbers is four one six something something something. So a lot of people will say the six, and it's like, okay, you're stretching. You could have called it the four, the one, the six. Yeah, you know. But we we tend to you know associate. I don't know why that particular number with Toronto, especially now with with Drake and like I mean I think Drake will probably also let you know that he probably helped the Toronto Raptors win the NBA championship this year. I make a joke of that, but it seemed like his reaction to them winning was like like he won the championship himself all on his lonesome. But there you go. Uh let's talk about the number one movie. What's the number one movie at the box office August fourteenth, two thousand sixteen? I'm going to say it's a Marvel movie like Avengers or something. You're you're close. It's 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 a superhero movie, but it's the wrong company. Ah, Wonder Woman? It's no. It's not Wonder it's it's that's a good DC movie. This is a really bad a really bad DC movie. I don't know. What is it? It's The Suicide Squad. I didn't even see that. I don't even know what that is. What is that? So, The Suicide Squad is a, a team book uh, from DC Comics, uh, the concept is is a government-run program that offers uh, uh, pardons to supervillains who are in prison if they take on these suicide missions that are you know can be disavowed by the, the American government. So hence they're called the Suicide Squad, and they they made this into a film, and it's a horrible film. It's one of the worst pieces of trash I've ever seen in my life. There's no redeeming qualities in it. Not even Will Smith playing Deadshot, the character Deadshot, because Will Smith is basically playing himself, who's an expert marksman. It, it's not compelling at all. Generally. Wonder Woman's really good, though. It is very I good. Have, I don't have anything to say about Suicide Squad, but I like Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman movie, is really good. I, a lot of people might think this is strange, but I, I like a lot of aspects of Batman v Superman. Not It's not perfect, but there's a lot of things I like about it, and... The introduction of Wonder Woman in that film is amazing. She really steals the show from both, like Gal Gadot steals the show from Ben Affleck and uh, what's his name, Superman. Uh, I'm totally blanking on the actor who plays Superman. I don't know. Movies. Does that guy do anything else? Uh, he was in the last Mission Impossible movie. He was a villain uh, in that. Know. But anyways, there you go. Suicide Squad. Don't see it. It's not good. Okay, Jojo. Let's move to the the wrestling trivia of the show. Who is the IWGP heavyweight champion at this time? At this time, I think it was Okada. You are correct. It is Kazushika Okada. Let's move to All Japan Pro Wrestling. Who is the triple crown champion? I'm going to just throw a guess out that it's Kento. You are correct. Kento Miyahara. Uh, This one might be a little challenging because I don't think you follow this promotion. DDT. Who are the DDT Tag Team Champions? You know, I, I do kind of follow DDT. Uh, so this was 2016. Uh, I think that was before Endo turned. So Takeshita and Endo? No. No. So one of these guys... Daisuke Sasaki and somebody. No, so... <laughs> I don't one of them is not a DDT regular, and he he's actually well known for being you know from All Japan Pro Wrestling, and now he wrestles in Dragon Gate. He's not a, now he wrestles in Dragon Gate. Uh, Kai? Yes. No. Yes, Kai. Kai. Kai was a DDT tag team champion. Uh, apparently, in twenty in twenty sixteen. Yes, he's teaming with a guy named Ken Oka. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that was very a long reign, but uh, yeah, Ken Oka runs one of the DDT sub brands. He does kind of like have, uh, an early 90s Onida tribute gimmick. Um, he's actually pretty entertaining. Oh, okay. So him and Kai were the DDT tag champions. Yeah, and, and, and Kai was doing an Onida tribute gimmick at the time, too. Oh, so I kinda do, this is when he's wearing I the white beater? I kind of do remember that, yeah. Were they, yeah, uh, exactly. They're both wearing a white beater and jeans. Um, I'm glad you reminded me about that. I did kind of enjoy that. Maybe you're going to go back and watch those matches? 
Yeah, maybe. maybe. We'll see. Uh, let's move over to the uh, WB land. Uh, who are the NXT Tag Team Champions at this time? Uh, Gargano and Ciampa. No. Uh, the, um, what about... Okay, I'm going to try to put a good guess together. Maybe I don't think it's the revival, but the revival. The revival. Yeah, no, no you're, oh, you're, really? you're correct. Okay. It's the revival. I think they're about to have their like classic match with Gargano and Champa for the, I, the way you reacted I thought like the that had already run its course, but yeah. No, no, just uh no, I think they're about to have like their Toronto match and at uh I think they did was it was it SummerSlam? No, it was another pay per view in in Toronto, and they did a takeover in Toronto, and they just they had the match. It was a revival and Gargano Champa. It's either the revival or it was American Alpha, but I'm going to say it's it's Gargano and Champa. Like to me, the revival like really spearheaded like this whole tag team renaissance that happened in in NXT at that time. Um, but final question, JoJo, who is the WWE champion? August 14th, 2016. Kevin Owens. Not Kevin Owens. Was he on the main roster at that point? I don't think so, actually. Oh, there's a good guess then, huh? Uh, <laughs> uh, Brock Lesnar. Uh, not Brock Lesnar. So I'll give you a clue. Um, maybe this will, this will give it away. This, this person is now wrestling in New Japan for wrestling. I guess Dean Ambrose. It's, it is indeed Dean Ambrose, aka Michael Moxley. Who's, uh, if you if you asked me if Dean Ambrose ever held the WWE title, I probably would have said no. Oh really? I but, I can't. But I don't really watch WWE, so that's that shows how well I'm equipped to answer these questions. I I only know that he held it because like after the Shield broke up, I was like curious as to okay, I thought okay, definitely Roman Reigns is going to get the title. Seth Rollins, I thought was a given; he's going to get the title. And I always thought, will will John will Dean Ambrose ever get the title? Because he does not come across as a Vince guy. But he got the title. He had the feud with with AJ Styles over the belt, and I thought it was probably the, the one of the lone high points of him as a as a single star in the company. Like before, he had to do all the horrible things that he talked about on his various podcast appearances for uh, working for Vince McMahon. Uh, but this was, a, I think this is one of his high points was being the WWE champion. And if I was like a wrestler and I was like someone who was more interested in, in, in wrestling, like I would at least want to have that checked off my resume. Like I, I'd still be a mark for wanting to have held the WWE championship and maybe have like a, a decent reign with it. But I think for him, he's got that office. Like he has that on his resume. I was, the WWE champion, not the not the Universal Champion, which I don't really think is that prestigious, but the actual lineage belt. And now he he can he can just say I'm done with that company. It's a horrible place to work. I don't have to work there. I did everything I could there, and he's now doing like amazing stuff in in uh, New Japan. Obviously, of course, he's got his gig over at AEW, and and they just announced recently, JoJo, that he's gonna he's gonna face Josh Barnett at Bloodsport. Josh Barnett's Bloodsport two. Yeah, I mean, he's been awesome in New Japan. Uh, first, let's get that out of the way. I've really enjoyed him, uh, you know, before the G1 and during the G1. He's been really great. Um, and I think him and Barnett will be, uh, you know, weirdly interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really get, become versatile. I think he shows off, like, his MMA training. I think he does it, like, as a hobby. Well, he lives in Las Vegas, so, like, there's no shortage of of gyms for him to train at living in Las Vegas. But uh, I think him and Barnett like will probably mesh really well together. So I'm very excited about eventually seeing that. I thought the match he had with Joey Janela at, uh, I would think it was like uh fighter fest. I think it was a main event there. I thought it was a hardcore match, you know, like an American style, you know, made of like mainstream style, hardcore match, not a death match. I thought that was really interesting. He worked really hard. So I, I'm very curious as to like the rest of the year for John Moxley. I'm curious as to how long he's going to actually be in New Japan because I, I don't know if he's going to be wanting to do like the flights back and forth from America to Japan and having to, you know, like it normally a lot of people like work Japan, go back home and just take 
time off. A lot of people don't do other dates, but he's got AEW and he's going to be on television as well. So do you think he's going to, he's long-term for uh, New Japan for Wrestling Jojo? I hope so. I mean, I don't know what his plans are, but I, like I said, I really enjoy what I've seen so far. I like how they're pairing Shota Umino with him. I think that's a, you know, an unforeseen benefit of, of bringing him in. Um, and he just switches things up. He's just fresh. Um, so I've really enjoyed it. And I hope he stays around. I mean, I don't think he's going to be here full-time, obviously. Um, but I totally enjoy it. Yeah, I'm digging uh, the involvement of John Moxley into New Japan in 2019. And hopefully, uh, going forward, he's... I like to see him do at least one more full year. So I hope he's in, in the company for the majority of 2020 as well. Uh, with that being said, let's wrap up this show. Jojo, thanks so much for appearing on your second episode of Cruel Summer. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you on air. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, you know, this is, we're really in the Cruel Summer days of it now. The G1's going on and it's actually hot outside. So this is uh, the right time to do it again. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, uh, tune in to uh, episode uh, 28. I, I feel I'm going to be making some important announcements on that episode that'll be with uh, john pollock of and of course you know tune in to episode 27 that's going to be with joel abraham from the super j cast and yeah so for jojo do you have anything to plug nope nope okay so uh for jojo i want to thank all the listeners for listening and for the positive feedback i've been getting on the cruel summer series it's very much appreciated and until the next episode i will say goodbye Goodbye and good night.